Yeah, if you have your Bibles, grab them. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got uh, a few up here. If you'd like to, we're going to turn to John chapter 4. There's actually uh, sermon notes here as well and pens if you want to keep track of what's going on there today. Um, We're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 4. My task over the next two weeks is to close out this sermon series. Um, Not finish the whole book because we're only in the fourth chapter. But um, the the next two weeks is when we're going to end this sermon series and go on to another one. Um, The last time I preached, I was given uh, three verses of text to speak on and 20 minutes to speak. And today we're going to read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. So today I have 42 verses. um, And by my calculations, that's 280 minutes of of preaching in order to really unpack this. So I hope you don't have uh, plans for lunch. I hope you're into fasting. I hope you're into sauna style worship, which is what we, that's the effect we're going for today. No, we're, we're working on getting it cooler in here. Um, have you ever heard the song, and I'm guessing that you have, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see. Got a little bit of feedback going on here. Sorry, I'm going to let Vince kind of look at that. Good? Are we good? Hello, you guys got me? Sorry about that. You're, here, you're still here with me in technical difficulties. All right, so you've heard that song, right? I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And here's the point of that song. Jesus loves the lost. And he wants the lost to be found. He wants people that don't know him to know him. He wants people that are blind to his goodness and his grace for us to see that. To see his love for them. And I know in this culture, in this day and age, it's even offensive to refer to someone who is lost or someone who is found. That that may be offensive. But in Jesus' terms, it's, it's regular terminology. For the, because it says that he came to his own and his own received him not, but as many as did receive him. To them gave he the right to become children of God. Jesus loves the lost. And because Jesus loves the lost and wants them to be found, we are called to love the lost. We who are found are called to love the lost. But if we don't see his love for the lost as the same as the way in which he has loved us. If we don't see his love for the lost as his love, the way he has loved us, then we're not going to love people who don't know him yet. If we don't see how much he has pursued us, then we won't be as willing to pursue other people. Does that make sense? We may know about his mission, but if we're not full of the knowledge of his love for us, that we were once lost and now he has found us, if we're not full of that knowledge and not full of joy for his love for us, then we're not going to go out and joyfully take on the mission that he sent us to. We may give it lip service. We may say, yeah, I know we need to be on mission. I know people need to know about Jesus, but then just go about through the rest of our week and not really think differently about whether it's our neighbors or coworkers or family members or people across the world in different nations that need to hear about the name of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, the, 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 the point I want to get across today is that because Jesus loves the lost, and we're going to see that in this story, we can identify with his love for the lost and we can love the lost. And because Jesus sends us on a joyful mission, we can have a joy a joy-filled mission. Because if you're in Christ today, Jesus has not just saved you to sit on a pew and wait for heaven. Amen? Amen? He hasn't just saved us to move us from a lost column to a found column. It's invisible and there's no difference in our life. He saved us and called us to a mission to go share the good news with other people. Amen? Amen? So, today we're going to read a story from the book of John, chapter 4, um, verses 1 through 42. We are going to have it on the screen. And it, 
It does capture a whole lot of truth, but I'm going to focus mainly on two truths from the passage today, that Jesus loves the lost and sends the saved. Jesus loves the lost and sends the saved. And uh, I have a little bit of help, which I think they're over here hiding. Yes, they're going to help me read this large passage of Scripture. You guys welcome Zach and Heidi to the stage. (laughs) And um, Zach's going to be narrating... Uh, Heidi's going to have a few roles. She's going to say the words of the woman and also the words of the disciples in this passage. And then I am going to uh, speak words of Jesus, and we're going to read this story. So, you guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. Let's get it going. John 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus... Sorry, was that a little loud? I need to start over. John 4. <laughs> All right. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Go call your husband and come here. I have no husband. You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming, He who is Christ... When he comes, he will tell us all things. I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone bought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? 
Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. As I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. This is the word of God. Let's give the uh, volunteers a hand. How many are familiar with that story? Heard it before? All right, awesome. So you know just how amazing it is that, that Jesus takes time out of his schedule to make this appointment to meet this woman. And, and I, I want to focus quickly today on, on two major uh, points. The first one is Jesus' love for the lost. It's going to be the first part of the message. And then the, the second part is going to be Jesus' mission for the found. But... I want, my hope for today is that we see the love that, that is on display that Jesus has for this woman is the same love that Jesus has for those of us who have been found by Jesus Christ. Because if we see this, if we can grab a hold of if we, if we if we don't, we're deceived. If we think we were found on our own or we came in... Uh, to the family of God because we had the right natural family, we are deceived. But I want to just kind of go through the example of how Jesus loved her, and I hope that speaks to us, whether you're a church kid or whether you're not even a believer. I want that to speak to you about how Jesus loves those who are, are lost and without Him and wants them to become found and with Him. So the first point is that He pursues us, He pursues us. He initiates. He crosses barriers. He overcomes objections. And if you guys want to, you can still just keep the passage open if you'd like. But as we've been going through this sermon series, we've been seeing Jesus. He's constantly revealing His glory. And it's being received differently from time to time. But in the last few chapters, we've seen Him reveal His glory where people already have faith in God. And they serve, they serve the same God. But it would make sense that they would receive Jesus if he comes and, and he's the Messiah and he's the Son of God and he's now here. It would make sense that they would receive him. But at the place where they should believe in him, when he goes to the temple, they're treating the temple so wrong that he has to overturn the tables. right? And then when a, a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who should know the law and should be expecting him, shows up and, and asks about him, and Jesus says, you must be born again, and Nicodemus like, I don't get it. It does not compute. It doesn't work. And Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't get these things, right? So Jesus has been on, on, on the, um, in the places where you would expect people to believe and receive him. And it hasn't gone that well. But now in this passage, it says he's going to go from Judea to Galilee. And he says he had to go through Samaria. Some, some background stuff you should know. The Jews of his day despised Samaria. They despised Samaria, they despised Samaritans, and they would not travel through it. The Samaritans claimed part of the same religion that the Jews did, but they ignored, they, they, they claimed the first five books of the Bible, but they ignored all the prophets, they ignored the Psalms, they ignored all that other stuff. They didn't believe in the same temple that the Jews did that day. And in fact, there was an instance where at some years before Jesus was there, during Passover, a group of Samaritans went to the temple in Jerusalem and scattered bones in the temple. And, and it just, just de- de- defaced the temple of God. And so Jews had kind of a hatred for Samaritans. And, and the other thing you got to know is that from Jesus to go from Judea to Galilee, it was not geographically, he was not required to go through Samaria. 
So there's something in Jesus' decision to go through Samaria that it's not, he doesn't have to because it's geographical. He doesn't have to go through Samaria to get there, but he has to because it's the plan of God for him to meet this woman. There's a divine appointment waiting for him. So he didn't have to go through, but he chooses to go through Samaria to the place where his fellow Jews dislike, disdain, consider them ritually unclean. He begins the conversation with her, which in his day, different culture, different time, but a public speaker would not talk to a woman in public. So he's out in open, out in public, in a place where his people despise that whole nation. And he breaks another, bar- another social barrier of him being a public speaking man, not speaking to a woman in public. And he initiates the conversation and asks for a drink, which is crossing another barrier because to the Jews, her water pot would have been ritually unclean. And so he runs the risk of being ritually unclean if she's going to give him a drink of water from her water pot. And she even acknowledges this. Did you guys see that when he first says, when he first asks for a drink? And she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to me? Right? So this is not something we're reading into it. This is something that's happening. And I think the, the, the beauty of it, it's even layers beyond that. More than just um, being in Samaritans, that is people disdain, more than just crossing the barriers of, of whether it was ritually unclean or water pot or anything like that. He even knew her sin. He even knew that in that village that she was a part of, that he, he knew her sexual sin, he knew her broken relationships, he knew her past. He knew that there was probably five other families that were really upset with her that lived in the same village. He knew that maybe that's why she came to, the, 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 to draw water at noon, which is the heat of the day, when everyone else would draw water in the beginning or end of the day. He knew everything about that, and yet he still pursued her. And when they came into conversation and she had objections, like, hey, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you talking to me? He still pursued her further. Whenever she lifted up objections, like, are you better than Jacob? Like, he gave us the well. This is like 2,000 years of religious history. Are you better than our religious father? He still pursues. says, I know Jacob gave you this well, but you drink that water, you'll be back here tomorrow needing more. But I've got something that is going to give you enough. Amen? Amen? He initiates. He pursues her. He crosses the barriers. He overcomes objections. Jesus showed that he, in, in this passage, he shows that he's not interested in the, in the wrong kind of faith on the right side of the tracks. But he'll go after the right kind of faith on the wrong side of the tracks. He'll go where people wouldn't expect him to go. To meet people where they are. People who aren't even expecting to meet him. People who are going about their ways, have their own religious beliefs and system that's working out for them. And yet Jesus pursues and goes and says, I'm here and I've got something better. Amen? We need his grace. Just like this woman needed living water. We need His grace. And, and Jesus has pursued us. If you have been found, if you're in Christ, it's not something that you did. It's not something that we earned. Heaven forbid we begin to think that way. Heaven forbid if we don't see ourselves without God in this same state as this woman. And yet Jesus has pursued us. Amen. Second point that goes along with Jesus' love for the lost is that he exposes our need. He exposes our need for him. What do I mean by that? Jesus raises a few uncomfortable issues in this woman's life. Not out of cruelty. Not out of cruelty, but out of love and a desire to see her set free. You know... I love, there's so many metaphors, there's so many beautiful things in this passage, and there's metaphors that go with water and with food, and Jesus does this over and over. He takes normal, everyday things in our life, like water, and he uses it to point us to thinking higher than normal every day, to think about eternal realities, to think about himself. 
And so when he asks for a drink, he knows where he's going with this. She says, oh, well, well, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? And he's like, well, if you knew, if you only knew the gift of God, if you knew who it was that was asking you, you would ask me. Okay, that's intriguing. <laughs> right? And then she says, well, are you better than Jacob? And he says, he contrasts what she says, you know, this water, and says, I've got water that will make you never thirst again. And then she begins to desire it, right? Because as Heidi was reading, she says, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty again and I don't have to come back here to draw water. So there's some speculation as to whether or not she really, she probably really didn't understand what he's asking for. But there's some sense of faith. And I'm thinking if I'm Jesus and if I'm wanting her to believe in me, at that point I would just be like, I'm the Messiah. Believe. That's the living water. Right? But there's, he doesn't, quite just jump there, right? As soon as she says, all right, I believe you've got something. I don't know what it is, but I want some of it. What does he say? So she says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or come here again to draw water. And he says, go get your husband and come back. If Jesus knows all things, why is he bringing this up? If he knows she feels shame or embarrassment about this, If she knows the years of history that go back and the brokenness in her own life and others' lives, if if he knows the guilt that she's bearing because of this, why does he bring that up? Because he loves her. And because when he's talking about, I've got living water that will satisfy you, he brings that issue up to show you the water that you're going to that's not satisfying. Saying, this water you're going to drink and you're going to be thirsty again. And then you're going to drink it again and you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to drink it again and be thirsty again. But I am the living water. And I will be a spring within you. And before you can experience that, you've got to see why you haven't been experiencing it. So instead of just leaving the uncomfortable issue down there, Jesus loves her in bringing that to the surface. Not to rub it in her face, but to say, hey, I can heal this. I can change this. I can take that shame that you have from this and I can show you how that water will always leave you thirsty. But my water will give you eternal life. Thank God that He loves us in the same way. Christian, if you're here, it is the grace of God that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind, it brings to the forefront of your mind a sin that you may be struggling with. It's not to make you uncomfortable. It's for God to bring it to the surface so you can find healing in that. It's for God to bring it to the surface so you can repent from that and turn to Him and drink from the living water. Because like this woman found out, one taste of the living water makes you forget the old water that kept you thirsty. One taste of living water makes you forget the old water that leaves you longing. Jesus loves you too much to leave the sin and hurt in your life alone. Jesus loves you too much to leave the sin and the hurt in your life alone. He wants to heal that. Amen? Amen? Don't you think it's interesting that She came to fill up her water pot, but when she met Jesus, and when she found out who he was, and when she believed him, she left to go tell everyone else, and she forgot her water pot there at the well. It's just this picture of when we come to know Jesus, when we come to see him for who he is, when we see how much he's pursued us, and how he wants to take the hurt and the sin in our life, and give us healing and wholeness, I can forget that sin. I can forget that shame. I can forget that pain. I I can forget that thing that always made me thirsty and always left me longing. Amen? She had a forget your water pot moment. 
So Jesus pursues us. He shows his love for the lost and that he pursues us. He exposes our need for him. And then the, the third sub-point here is that he reveals his glory. He reveals his glory. Jesus has been to the temple and found their faith lacking and overturned things and showed the zeal of his father's house. He talked with Nicodemus, who should have been a teacher of the things of God, and he didn't understand. What do you mean born again? You mean I have to... Yeah, well, we don't go into all that. What does it mean to be born again? And he's been on the right side of the tracks, but he's encountered the wrong side, the wrong kind of faith. And now he's going to where everyone else thinks, no, there can be nothing good there. Oh, they're just Samaritans. They're inferior. Right? That was the attitude around him. But he's like, no, 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 no. Let me show you. This woman knows her need for God. Whether she's expecting me to be there or not, she is going to find out who I am. And I love this point in their conversation because she brings up all these barriers. She says, you know, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, why are you talking to me? And he says, well, if you knew who I was, if you really knew who I was, you would be asking me for a drink. Right? So she brings up the social barrier. And then she brings up, you know, do you think you're greater than Jacob? Which is centuries of tradition. This is the way we've always done it, Jesus. Do you think you're better than the way we've always done it? This is pretty set. This is the way we understand things without you. And that's when he says, this water, this well is going to leave you thirsty, but I'll give you living water. And then she says, okay, all right, I can see you're a prophet. Should we worship in Jerusalem or should we worship here? So what category is that? It's religious objections. Where should the worship of God be centered? Right, so she's brought up Social identity, she's brought up tradition, she's brought up we have a different religion. And Jesus says we're looking for people to worship in spirit and truth. And then finally, it's kind of just, she's trying to track with him, but she says, you know what? I believe that the Messiah is going to come and when he shows up, he'll explain everything. He'll, He'll tell us how it is. And then Jesus does something amazing. He says, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am He. Do you know the Reformation Study Bible says this is the one instance before His trial when Jesus is recorded as designating Himself as the Messiah. In this book of John, this is the one time where He says, I am the Messiah. And look at who He declares that to. Not His closest friend, not His twelve disciples. Not someone from his background, not someone who he expects to maybe understand that. He goes to a woman who is full of shame. She's got a past. She's got trouble in the village. Despised by the Jews, which Jesus is a Jew. Has a different faith background. And he says to her, he goes to that length. He goes to the unexpected and says, I am the Messiah. Jesus loves us when He reveals His glory to us. Amen? We don't deserve that knowledge, and yet Jesus has come in the flesh. We don't don't deserve His grace, but He comes and reveals Himself to us. And if you're under the sound of my voice, Jesus has been revealed to you. And if you haven't seen it or heard it yet, I'm preaching Jesus to you, this is the same. He, he, he's revealing himself to you even through these words, even through the Bible today. He loves you. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever's in your past, wherever you're from, he loves you. When we truly realize our need for him, when we're ready to say yes to him, he reveals his glory to us. Amen? I want you to think, if, if you're a Christian, I want you to think just how humbling and how amazing is it that God loves us. Think about where you were before you met Christ. Think about how He pursues us. When we're not even expecting it. When you say, well, maybe, maybe I, you know, I grew up in church. I had people that taught me the faith. Well, think about whether or not did you choose which family you were born into. 
Think about how loving it is that, that God set you in a family that, that the truth would be proclaimed to you and they would teach you to love Jesus. Jesus has loved us just like he loved this woman. To pursue her, to initiate the conversation, to expose our need for him, and then to reveal the way that he can meet that need. Amen? How many are thankful for that? (laughs) Amen. Amen. So if we miss his love, we won't love others. If we miss his mission, we'll be looking to lesser missions. Right, because it's a beautiful thing. We're going to switch to the next kind of part of the passage because it goes from she. He says, "I who speak to you am He," and then she has her forget the water pot moment and has to go tell someone else. Like, you guys got to meet this guy. Like, he knows everything about me. He told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? Right, and so she begins to go to the village, and these are all the people who know her past and know what she's done. But there's not a shred of shame when she talks. Because she's met the Messiah. She's met the Son of God. And it's changed her. And she's had so much joy that He's loved her and that He's crossed the barriers to speak into her life that she doesn't care who hears it. She's going to share it. She just wants to share that joy. Amen? This is a picture of what Jesus has called us to. When we are changed by His love, when we have a taste of that living water, we're filled with joy. Amen? Has anyone experienced that? Okay. And, and, and this picture that we have right now is that Jesus gives us that joy so that we can joyfully go share that with someone else. So let's talk about that for a little bit. We talked about Jesus' love for the lost. Let's talk about Jesus' mission for the found. And His mission for His disciples is joyful Harvest work. Everyone say joyful. Oh, man, that sounded so joyful. Hallelujah. Let's try that again. All right. On, on the count of three, we're going to say joyful harvest work. All right. One, two, three. Joyful harvest work. Hallelujah. All right. I know it's hot, guys. We're, we're, on, the, uh, we're on the home stretch here. Um, A little bit of backdrop. She came to get water. She got offered living water. She left her water pot to go share the living water that she just got. Everyone got that? She came to get water, got offered living water, and was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then she goes to share that living water. Well, now the disciples had been with Jesus, but they left to get food. Right? So they go to the town to get food, and Jesus stayed and revealed his glory to a Samaritan. They get back and they offer him food, but he says, I have food. How many think about food right now? Hallelujah. And water. So she came to get water, got offered living water, forgot her water pot, and went to share living water. The disciples, however, who are with Jesus go to get food, come back, offer Jesus food, and Jesus is like, I just had a meal. You don't, you don't even know about the food I just ate. I just had spiritual food, right? And, and you don't even know about it. Okay, and they're like, well, did someone bring him food while we were gone? It's not, not computing, not really working. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. So he's referencing, all right, I know you guys went out to go get a meal and bring me back some, but I just had a great spiritual meal and it was fully satisfying. To do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. To reveal the glory of God. And... and The meaning and the hint in this passage is that he's sending his followers to enjoy the same satisfying food. Because when he says, you know, doing the will of him who sent me and accomplishing his work, and then what does he say? He sends them to work. He sends them to a harvest. He says, don't you have a saying, you know, it's four months from now and then there will be the harvest. And he's telling him, look up. The fields are white. 
ready to be harvested. Some commentators say he might even be talking about because the passage says that she went out and told the Samaritans and they were on their way. And then the disciples come back and he says, look up. The fields are ripe for harvest. Already those who are reaping are receiving wages and, and bringing fruit to eternal life. And I'm sending you out. Someone else has done the work of sowing. I'm sending you to reap. And I just want to touch on this for a little bit. That, that Jesus' mission for the found is joyful harvest work. If we miss this, in the same way the disciples miss the spiritual food for the natural food, if we miss Jesus' mission for us as the work of a harvest and a work that's joyful, we're going to miss the satisfying spiritual food that he's talking about. And we're going to live our lives for a lesser mission. If we miss the big mission that he sent us on, we're going to look for a mission. It'll just be a Kenny-sized mission instead of a God-sized mission. I was talking to this Kenny, not me. Just kidding. It'll be a vent-sized mission instead of a God-sized mission. It'll be a mini little bitty kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. And it'll be a mission that leaves us longing for satisfaction instead of full of joy. The mission for the found is joyful harvest work. Joyful why? Because it begins in joy and it continues in joy. You see the woman when she experiences Jesus... Did anyone have to tell her, like, hey, you should go tell a few people? No, when she really experiences Jesus' love for her, she went and told everyone herself. Why? Because she wanted to share it. There's a guy who knows everything in my life, and he's a Jew, and, and they're supposed to not like us, and he still talked to me. Even when I pushed him back with three or four layers of Dialogue. He continued to overcome my objections and then tell me everything about my past and then he said that he is the Messiah. Excuse me. She had joy. So it began in joy, but then Jesus says it's full of joy. He says they can rejoice while they're in the harvest. Why? Because the fruit that they're picking up is not just fruit that's going to satisfy you for a day and then you're going to be hungry three hours later. It's fruit to eternal life. How many have ever had a friend or family or coworker that, that you've known and been involved with and had a relationship with and you've seen them come to Christ? You've seen them come to faith? Awesome. Isn't it joyful to see that? Isn't there something that's deeply satisfying about seeing someone else experience this living water that Jesus has come to offer? I remember a time uh, when a neighbor of mine came to Christ in our living room. And uh, Sean, my roommate at the time, we were both there and we had prayed with her. And, and, and when she, she gave her life to Christ, she, she professed faith and she just felt so light and she had so much joy. And then, and then Sean and I were like, we were like so excited. We just got to go eat. Like, <laughs> and we just, but the whole meal, like we couldn't hardly like contain the excitement. Because it was so cool. It was so cool to see someone that we had prayed for and discipled. And when she would come over to our apartment, we would just pray with her. Whatever the time it was, it was satisfying just to see her experience the joy of Jesus Christ. We are called to joyful work. When we talk about the mission of God, so, so much time, so, so many times, at least for me, we can tend to just focus on the work load. Do you guys know what I mean? Like we're called to go make disciples of all nations. That's a lot of work. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I haven't been able to accomplish that one yet. I'm big into like knocking off tasks. I haven't made disciples of all nations yet. Right? That's a lot of work. I mean, have you guys finished that one? Okay. So it's joyful, but it's, it's harvest work. Work because it's hard work to share the gospel. Work because sometimes you get rejected. Work because people might think about you differently. Work because 
it may require a little bit more sacrifice than normal. But it's worth it because it's harvest work. You know, I think about, maybe we hear this and we, okay, he's sending them to harvest, to labor. That doesn't sound really fun. That's like a, just a lot of, I'm not really into manual labor. I don't really own a sickle, you know. But in that day, the harvest was a very exciting time. The harvest was the time of however many months you have waited on it, this is the time it pays off. However many months, whoever was farming and sowing into that, they didn't, you know, for the first few months, they're just watering and they're putting nutrients out there and seed and they don't see anything grow. Nothing's happening. And Jesus is saying, I'm sending you where it's time to pick up the ripe fruit. The fields of wheat are white to be ready to be harvested. It's harvest work. It's work because it's hard work. But it's worth it because it's the hardest. Jesus is saying there are people who are ready to be free. As many people who may be in your life who don't want to hear anything about your Jesus, there are people right now in your life who are ready to be free. There are people who have shame who are ready to have their shame taken away by Jesus. There are people who don't know Jesus in your life who are ready to meet Jesus. And it's an exciting work. I forget the statistic, but I know that, uh, Zach, you may remember it, but there's a, some people have talked about the average time that someone hears the gospel before they say yes to the gospel. 7.2, okay. 0.2 times, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know we had it divided in tenths. You just heard a tenth of the gospel. (laughs) Well, I would consider that sowing. And then whoever gets to share it that last time, they get the joy of reaping. And what Jesus is saying, there's people who have been working. There's people who have been working, and I'm sending you just to reap. I'm sending you to reap. And sowing is part of it, but that's not this sermon. Right now I'm talking about today. Jesus has called us to a joyful harvest. It may be a lot of work, but it's worth it. In that time, it was a lot of work, but it fed the family for the whole year. It was a lot of work, but it's joyful. I'm willing to do the work because I'm going to sell this, and this is going to make us money, and this is going to be good for our family, and I'm going to eat it. It's going to be great. It's an exciting thing. I was thinking kind of about the, uh, what is it, the deadliest catch, that TV show. Anyone see that or familiar with that? And they go fishing out for Alaskan king crab. And it's one of these most dangerous jobs in the world. Uh, on average, I think during the, the fishing season, at least one fisherman, one crewman dies per week when they're out there in the Bering Sea because it's so dangerous and the conditions are just crazy. But why are they willing to do it? Because they, a lot of times they go out there and they may work for a month or a few weeks and that is their income for the entire year. It's very lucrative, right? So... They're willing to work that hard for that, you know, work a 23-hour day in an ocean that's doing this, right? Because of the payoff. In the same way, the harvest work, it's a lot of work, but it's a huge payoff to eternal life. Joy leads us to the harvest, and the harvest leads us to joy and satisfaction. The woman in the well... She had her forget-the-water-pot moment because of the joy that she had. And then she went and shared it with her village. And then she had even more joy when they come to the end of the story. You guys remember the end of the story where all the Samaritans come back to him? And they hear Jesus. And he speaks to them. And then they say to her, you know, we believed because of your story. But now we believe because we've seen him. Because we've heard him. He really is the Savior of the world. And many people who were ostracized by Jesus' people were brought into the kingdom of God on that day. That's awesome. That is awesome. If you're here today and you're in Christ, Jesus has a bigger mission for you than you have for your own life. 
He has a bigger mission for you than you have for yourself. It's joyful harvest work because people are ready to meet him. People are ready to be free. Amen. I want to ask you guys just a couple questions, which we sometimes do dialogue here, just to wrap things up. Um, if, if what I'm talking about, if Jesus' love for the lost is true, and if that's the same way that he has loved you and I, all right, so that stuff we were talking about at the beginning, Jesus' love for people who don't know him, if that's true, and, he, and if we see that, that he's loved us in that way, how does that affect our perspective of people who don't yet know him? And, and I'm inviting uh, feedback. How does that make you think about people who don't yet know him? And when you see his love for people who did not know him and weren't expecting him. Yeah, that's awesome. What else? Right, right. So it, it enables you to at least think about what might it be to like not have those barriers up, or not just assume this person doesn't want to know about Jesus. What else? If we if we see his love for this woman who didn't know him, just like if we if we identify with her, because we all have to come in through grace. If we identify with her, how does that change our attitude towards people who don't know him yet? How does that shape it? takes away takes away pride and shame when we identify with with the woman in the story Marco, yeah. Right, right, but when we, yeah, 
Yeah, so when we see ourselves as receiving that from him, when we see when we identify with the woman who's been approached by Jesus, you know, because when the woman shared, she just shared, this is what happened to me. I think he's the Christ. You should go hear him. And she and she had joy. You know, so she didn't have to she didn't have anything. Now, this is what happened to me. He knows me. And, and, and this is my story. You should go hear him. And then they heard him. And they're like, well, now we believe not just because of what you said, because we heard him ourselves. You know, so, yeah, it is a supernatural work of grace. It definitely is. Um, one more question as we're wrapping this up. If, if the second part of that, if Jesus' mission for the found is joyful harvest work, if you're in Christ and, and you begin to see your mission, your overarching mission in life, whatever it is, whatever your career, occupation, or hobbies, or whatever that is, if you answer this call that Jesus is giving us as his followers to joyful harvest work, how does that kind of change or, or shape your, um, your focus or your energy when you think about his mission? If you begin to see the mission of going into all nations and making disciples of Jesus and sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, and you begin to think of that as joyful harvest work, how does that kind of change how you perceive the mission or where you might put your energy in that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because, it, there, because, you know what, there may be people who don't want to hear it, but there's some people who do. There's, there's, some, there's fields that are ripe that are ready to hear Jesus and ready to enjoy Jesus. So why should I be so worried? <laughs> yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Everything else is not so important. Yeah, there's kind of an urgency to it. Melissa. Yeah. Right. It shifts that focus from, oh, that's too much work, to, wow, that could be really joyful. That could be really exciting. Yeah, Sylvia. Yeah. 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 And, and where that that initial joy that comes from him comes from experiencing his love for us. And seeing, you know what? I was just like this woman at the well. I didn't have any goodness on my own. My track record was really not great. There's a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of brokenness in my past. But I needed Jesus. And even when I didn't know it, I was thirsty for living water that would satisfy. And he came and he filled that need. Yeah. Right. Right, right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, just noticing that we're entering into someone else's labor. You know, that it's not, all doesn't rest on me, but, uh, but I get to experience joy in that too. You know, so, anything else? Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. That joy. God is at work even when you're not aware of it. When you're just with Him and you're following Him. There's sowing and there's reaping going on. Amen. As I I believe for that woman too. Like Jesus was strategic in, in, in signaling her out, but also like she's in the moment. Like I just got to tell someone because this is amazing. You know, and so she's just being there with him with that revelation of what he's given her. Uh, Zach, did you want to share? Yeah. What Jesus is saying here is like, you'll be more satisfied to go do the work and do the, the harvesting. Right. Like that's how you become spiritually fulfilled. That's, right. That's wonderful. And that makes me want to go and harvest more and remember like the joy on the other side of it. Right. Um, like in the midst of it, yeah, sometimes it's easy to remember that, but, but remembering those moments that on the other side of it, like getting food baptism. Yeah. Um, makes it worth like hours of prayer and sacrifice and mm-hmm. spending more than your budget on hospitality and mm-hmm. all those things. Uh, and going out outside of your comfort zone to, to talk about Jesus to mm-hmm. a guy who they can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it worth all those things to think about. Like, this is the satisfying spiritual food that I long for. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, this time um, uh, I'm going to pray and we're going to uh, just partake of and remember the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ uh, poured out for us, um, that, that he lived a sinless life and, and died a death that we deserve for our sin and paid for our sins on the cross and, and was buried. And then death could not hold him down, but he rose again. And it's the reason we have joy and we have hope. And so uh, if you're in Christ, I do invite you to partake of that. Um, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, um, 
you know, please don't, but you're more than welcome to come around with a group and listen in and just kind of hear what's going on with people who have placed their faith in the cross of Christ for their redemption. And um, yeah, so I'm going to pray. We're going to transition into that and then uh, we'll take a few minutes for communion. And then after that, the worship team is going to come back in. We're going to sing one more song of worship together and then uh, just have a time of, of benediction is sending us out and, uh, and we'll go on with the rest of today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much um, for the word of God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. You know, at one point later in this book, you were talking to Thomas when he had doubted, but then then he had faith in you that you were risen from the dead and said, my Lord and my God. And, and you said that he was blessed for believing, believing um, and he had seen you, but even more blessed are those who have not seen you and yet still believe. God, and I just thank you for that blessing that you have given us. Thank you for the assurance and the hope that you have given us. Thank you for the love and the grace that you poured out onto us, just like this woman at the well. And God, I pray that um, we would I, we would hear that love. We would um, just bathe in that love that you poured out onto us, God. And that the joy that we get from that, or that the the living water that you are and that you provide, the salvation that you give us, Lord, from um, from our own sin and, and shame, Lord, that, that that would propel us, Lord, to the mission that you've called us to. We would find joy in you, Lord, and, 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 and see joy in other people coming to know you and experience that. And just pray for that. Pray that for this church. Pray that we would love the lost, God. And pray that we would not um, be proud and not be fearful, Lord, but that we would just love other people that don't know you and, and do our best to share who you are with them. In Jesus' name, amen.